1: Hercules Invictus, and Athena Victory celebrates the mythic impulses of ancient Greece and Rome, and they invite you to celebrate with them. Welcome to Voice of Olympus. Greetings and welcome to Voice of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and I will be your host tonight. And uh, I am greatly honored to announce Michael Del Rusi, of Bold Spirits, Holistic Concepts. Uh, and uh, we'll be joining him now for our first segment, which focuses on mythic fitness. Greetings and welcome, Michael. How are you?
2: Good evening, uh, Hercules. It's great to be with you and the family once more.
1: Uh, The same here, my friend, and uh, uh, you really brought back some nostalgia with your choice of tonight's uh, topic. Uh, Not so much with the essential fatty acids, although I'm really looking forward to learning more about that, but with a bull worker. That played a really big uh, uh, part in my early workout history.
2: Yes. uh, Did you ever use one?
1: Yes, uh, in high school primarily, and uh, actually thinking about it now in grammar school is when I started using a worker and I used it throughout high school.
2: Yeah, it had a great uh, history behind it in the 70s and right through some of the 80s, and I uh, discovered its efficacy about three years ago, I would say now. Of course, they have a new model, uh, yes. two new models, actually. And uh, their website is Bold uh, Bullworker Personal Home Fitness, is their website. And I wanted to share my experience with it. Uh, you know, I've been, through my training life, I've been very cautious about recommending uh, too much in the way of home fitness equipment. You know, there's so much equipment out there, much of it winds up being used as clothing racks because yeah. uh, for one reason or another... The few that I do recommend, uh, I think the Total Gym is very simple, it's very functional, and it uses utilizes the body weight mostly as resistance. I think the Total Gym uh, certainly has its place, but by and large, there's not too much I've ever recommended in terms of home fitness. However, uh, using the Bullworker the last three years, I wanted to share with the family uh, my own personal uh, results. And uh, it's been fairly impressive, uh, especially when it comes to the chest compressions and the shoulder work uh, and the tricep work. I have found that whether it be isotonic reps or isometric movements, that you do get a fantastic pump with it. And I came to notice when used on a regular basis, at least three, four, five times a week, if, if you can for maybe 10 minutes at a time, that you definitely develop the styrations and separation, the kind of classical look that I think in the, in the at the end of the day we're all looking to achieve, and i have uh I've achieved some great results with it, so I wanted to share with the family that I highly recommend this piece of training equipment um you know I've heard some bodybuilders say, as they get into their later years, they don't get the pump that they used to experience. Uh, they blame it mostly perhaps on a lack of testosterone or what have you. They just don't get the same pump with barbells and dumbbells that they used to. I have found that with the bull worker, if you do three or four sets of practically anything, isometrically or isotonically, you get a terrific pump almost immediately. And the, the stirrations and cuts that you can achieve, along with a decent diet, uh, for me has, have been very uh, exciting and encouraging. So I wanted to recommend this tool today. I think it, it definitely has a place in home training or gym training, for that matter. Uh, it's a great tool that you can take anywhere. You can work out in the car, in the park, and uh, it has a great benefit in, in achieving the physique, the ideal, uh, the picture that we have in our mind in terms of that physical ideal, which, you know, the Peplin fills brought to us early on. And later with the West Coast bodybuilding scene, which a lot of the peplum stars uh, transitioned over to after that era had faded. And it's that imagery that I think we've all been seeking, those of us who just love to do what we do. So I wanted to recommend this tool. I think it can be highly effective for achieving those results.
1: Oh, that is fantastic. I haven't used one in years, but I remember it uh, fondly. I went to Amazon while you were speaking and I see yes, what you mean? There's uh uh there's two different models, it seems, and uh then there's also the uh uh isotone. They have like a uh uh isobow, they call it. Yes, uh, which a uh, small portable uh, uh stretchy type of thing.
2: Right. Uh, they have two sizes in the uh bow worker itself the, the bow classic as you probably saw and the steel bow which is a little, a tiny version which is also very effective especially for biceps and shoulders and, and uh, working uh, the body uh, uh, bilaterally and unilaterally uh, the, the ISO bow the, sm- the smaller version definitely has its place and I think for the money if it's used on a regular basis uh, I have found that you can achieve quite uh, impressive results in terms of – I've noticed even in the chest work, uh, the styrations and the cuts that begin to uh, show themselves, uh, I was quite happy with. So I think, both Whether again, whether you use it isometric or isotonically or both, which you can do, of course, I think it's a very useful tool. So I wanted to highly recommend it to your audience as part of the, whether you're training with barbells, dumbbells, whatever the case might be. This is good for anyone, male or female. Uh, again, a terrific pump is achieved, which shows we can always get a pump with the right piece of equipment. Right. And uh, I, highly rec- I highly recommend it. If you're looking for separation and you're looking for detail and cuts, uh, this piece of equipment used on a, a regular basis can help you achieve that. So i just like to highly recommend it to your audience. Uh, the uh, the uh, uh, bow classic goes for about $149, and the steel bow goes for about $139. I would recommend okay. buying these uh, items directly from the website because I had noticed that if you buy it from Amazon, you could be paying more uh, than mm-hmm. if you buy it from directly from the website. So I highly suggest uh, anyone's interested to do that. But this is a great piece of equipment, and it has a, a, an interesting history behind it, and it's very useful. It's very useful. I'm very enthusiastic about it. So I'd just like to recommend that.
1: Okay. I, I remember fondly uh, the Bulwarker. I remember it was... Uh, um... Uh, a piece of equipment that you could, uh, like you said, get a really good pump and uh, you could do everything. You could do your abs even, you could do your legs. uh, So it was very uh, versatile. And of course, uh, back then in grammar school and uh, um, high school, what mattered most was my chest and arms. So those got the lion's share of the work. But I remember it was difficult to do the other uh, exercises as well. And it did produce uh, uh, results then it disappeared for a while and uh, the model that I had eventually broke like old machinery does uh, in time and right. uh yeah, so uh, now you're uh, you've awoken feelings of nostalgia so I definitely have to track one down
2: well, exactly and it comes with uh, basically the latest uh, uh, version comes with three power springs both versions and you can uh, you can work the resistance up. There's a spring that offers you uh, sixty pounds of resistance, which is quite impressive. It is, and, yeah. uh, especially with test chest compressions. Uh, the, the feeling you get, the exhilaration and the pump you get, is really magnificent. And you can see again if you work with it on a regular basis, at least three times a week, along with your regular barbell, dumbbell training, whatever it, whatever else it is, uh, that you do, uh, you'll achieve the cuts. As an example, I noticed that when I did bench flies, uh, because I wanted to see some of those styrations in the chest, I never really got to the a point where I was satisfied. It was a little bit in terms of definition, but not what I had expected. And to my surprise, when I began using the bulwark on a regular basis, I did indeed achieve those results when going to into a most muscular to to judge my own uh, make an evaluation of my own progress and yeah I saw styrations and cuts and separation that I hadn't seen previously and that's why I think it's such a great tool if you're looking for that detail Uh, you can go for high reps uh, you can change uh, the resistance in three separate ways Uh, and of course isometrically it's great to challenge yourself they usually recommend a seven second hold but eventually I think we all like to go beyond that maybe 12 and 15 seconds and it's a real challenge. So, uh, again, it's a tool I highly recommend. Uh, and the the website, again, is the Bulwarker Personal Home Fitness is a website. And you can use it isometrically or isotonically. And I highly recommend it.
1: That is awesome. And I definitely uh, will acquire one in the very near uh, future. I like uh, using uh, gadgets. And mm-hmm. I post my out on the the Facebook page um, because I said I would do that when I started getting more active with the Tenafly Mayor's Wellness Campaign. But uh, I love gadgets and I have uh, uh, all sorts of uh, cables and uh, elastic bands and hoops and uh, uh, they used to call it a Hercules Twister. So it's like a spring with two pieces of metal. I've gone through a bunch of those. They they eventually snap in half, you know. So but I got one that's working. Uh, fairly well now. I have uh, hand grips, hand hoops, uh, you know, all sorts of things, and, and I find that they enhance my uh, workout uh, by forever keeping it fresh.
2: Uh, exactly. Because- uh, you know, variety is a, is a is a is a is a a large aspect of it, and uh, those of us who specifically love home training, all of that is valuable, because on any given day, our spirit leads us to a certain point you know what we're going to do on that day and we follow our spirit and sometimes we change our minds at the last minute in terms of just what kind of workout we want to engage in so it's wonderful to have a variety of tools that you feel can truly be effective in achieving your goals and and the vision you have before you in terms of your physique Uh, so yeah I think it's important to add variety especially if you're home training and uh, you have a home gym that you utilize on a regular basis
1: Yes, I have a corner of my room where uh, the the dumbbells are stacked up. uh, And then in between the pairs of dumbbells, there's like little piece of equipment, you know, like sequentially. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. I have my kettlebells and my uh, um, – I've stated before, I use uh, wrist weights and ankle weights in a weighted vest Mm -hmm. uh, if I need to increase but not five pounds in a a progression. And I found that that helps – because it gives you like an interim step and uh, it doesn't halt progress.
2: Uh, You mentioned the weighted vest. That's interesting. Uh, I have one also. I think the the weighted vest, depending on what you're doing on that specific day, that specific workout, can be quite useful also. Have you found that to be true, even in terms of just burning extra calories?
1: I found that to be true. And and I I have downstairs uh, a uh, small uh, uh, incline bench. So Mm -hmm. uh, I discovered by moving weights up and downstairs, that that was a phenomenal leg workout. If I had all the, uh, like I I put on the wrist weights and the ankle weights and the weighted vest, and then I bring my kettlebells and my uh, dumbbells downstairs to use on the weighted bench. And once I get everything Downstairs and then bring it back up. My legs are exhausted. I can barely walk. So that became that became a big chunk of my leg workout. And then when I'm rested a bit, I do you know calves and thighs and quads and you know more isolation type of movements and
2: breathing. Was, that had to be a terrific workout.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, too, uh, for those of us uh, where our knees are a big compromise. I cannot barbell squats like I used to, but I found that the weighted vest, doing stairs, uh, you get a terrific workout if you're doing stairs with the weighted vest on.
1: And the weighted vest isn't that heavy. It's, I think, uh, eight pounds, the one I have. Uh, But still, cumulatively, uh, if you've gone up and down the stairs like a dozen times, your legs are hurting.
2: Absolutely. You know, if there was one thing I've learned in my, training life again it's light to medium weights you know we learn to experience and sometimes uh, bad experiences that uh, light to medium weights provide the best workout now that's not to say if we want to uh, cross those olympian boundaries so to speak and test ourselves i'm not saying that three reps with our uh, our heaviest weight still isn't useful i don't do that anymore Uh, i have found that light to moderate weight resistance really builds muscle the likes of which I didn't see in my younger days. And when I say builds muscle, I mean specifically in terms of that uh, muscle density and separation that ultimately, you know, we want to achieve. You look at the Greek ideal, and while size is great, size is impressive, size without symmetry, size without muscular separation really doesn't mean anything, you know, to achieve that great, mythic ideal like we need that muscular separation in detail so I have found that getting that pump using do using the stairs with the vest as you've described and uh, light to moderate weights we really achieve the physique that we're seeking and you you're still gaining strength in the long term so I think that's the best way to go as far as uh, weight resistance is concerned I mean too many injuries I know myself I've accumulated a lot of injuries by trying to go for the max and going for the very heavy weight for three or four reps. And I have found in the past I just didn't achieve the detail that I wanted. Uh, But with the higher reps, the detail began to come. So uh, I think that's the best way to go at this point where our, our fitness program is concerned.
1: Um, I certainly think so as well. I'm not as young as I once was, and a lot of the things I used to do back then, I just cannot do them now. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I too have found that, uh, you know, basically uh, concentrating on the low to medium uh, weights and uh, adjusting the amount of pressure—like there's some old techniques uh, like muscle control. Uh, exactly. Which is- You become aware of your muscles, you know, and that's pretty much it. But it's surprising how unaware we are of our bodies. So uh, it kind of forces you to move your awareness to the muscles that you're working out. Uh, And then uh, isometrics and isotonics, those uh, I've been incorporating more and more. Uh, The Charles Atlas program I've I've been doing on and off since I was a kid, Um, Mm -hmm. and I incorporate elements of that into my uh, workout. Uh, every now and then, I'll do a whole 12 week course, you know, just to refocus. Uh, um, you know, my awareness. And the, I find that the changing, the being fluid, the being flexible, the trying new things, uh, um, th- that's what keeps uh, me growing. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm in my 60s and uh, I, I'll walk downtown and people who don't know me will yell, yell out things like, hey, leave some muscles for other people. You know, and, and again, I'm not as muscular as I once was by any stretch of the imagination, but I never thought in my 60s that, uh, you know, I'd attained uh, this type of muscularity. So it's fine for now. I'm not going to compete in any contests. I'm not uh, going to win any trophies, uh, but it keeps me healthy. It keeps me happy. And it's, it's a passion I've had my entire life. So I'm glad that I can still indulge it.
2: Isn't it a great experience when, you know, those of us who've been influenced by our great heroes during the peplum era that you can still, you know, the great thing is I'm in my sixties as well, my late sixties, and to have that kind of detail and muscular shape at this stage in our lives, it's, it's humbling, and it's also yeah. very gratifying that we can have those results. And the fact of the matter is you can continue to build muscular definition into your 70s and beyond with yeah. regular training. Uh, you know, size, we put size, size means nothing. It's that muscular shape and definition and detail that catches the eye. And we can still have that even here at this stage of our lives.
1: Very, very true. And uh, um, as everyone knows, uh, and as you know, uh, certainly uh, I'm still inspired by these uh, movies uh, and what they were trying to do back then when it was called physical culture, uh, bodybuilding. I think bodybuilding had just uh, come into use as a popular term. Um, is that they tried to um, to use their bodies to express the ancient uh, classical art of the Mediterranean. Ab-
2: absolutely. It was our mythical heroes descended to Earth with the Pecklin yes. film. Uh, they descended to Earth, and they expressed that ideal to all of us and all of the great uh, actors of that era, the great heroes and they left an ideal for all of us to pursue, so you're absolutely correct. It was indeed those mythical heroes descending to Earth, and they those 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 characters brought that gift to us. and it's just exciting because you know you're almost like a little child. It's something to look look up yeah. to, and it's something you continue and that exhilaration, that excitement never really leaves you.
1: Oh, most certainly so. And I, and I still, I, I remember, it brings back memories of, uh, um, you know, watching these things with my father. Um, and uh, my cousin is uh, Ron Carson, the DJ. He has a show on the same uh, night as you do here. And he's a radio personality. So we talk about growing up, you know, Greek during the Peplom era. Uh, so that became our mythology because we were familiar with the old stories but the peplum and like Hercules cartoon that they had Um, at the time, all those things brought it
2: to life and made it real you know, and going to school myself, I don't think there was a male figure, male athlete they may not have been the fans of the peplum genre that we were, but I knew of no one that wasn't influenced by the Greek ideal The Greek ideal in terms of the physical perfection. The Greeks brought that to us, perhaps more so than other cultures. They magnified. That's what the Greeks were all about, the physical connection to the cosmos. And, uh, yeah, it was an exciting time. And all those great actors uh, and athletes that inspired us so and so many of them. Uh, moved to the West Coast, the West Coast bodybuilding scene, and that's, all, uh, that's for a whole other program, because that's also program. an exciting time.
1: And in the time we have left, I want to get to the essential fatty acids,
2: too, because... Yes, uh, and I will do that. I'll, I'll okay. get right to it. There's a brand new study uh, out of Columbia University that has indicated that uh, uh, fish oil, the omega-3s, uh, can... Uh, contribute to moving lactic acid acid out of the muscles, flushing it out and making room for new growth in terms of regular training and this can be very beneficial to the athlete. This is a brand new study with fish oil but you know, back in the 70s you know, uh, researchers here in the States especially were fascinated with, by the Greenland Eskimos why the incidence of high blood pressure and heart disease were so minimal And we've come to find out later, it was due to the benefits of consuming uh, fish oils in the form of omega-3 fatty acids, also called EPAs, and marine lipids. Uh, Since then, there have been countless studies to show that they can uh, lower high blood pressure, contribute to fighting the pain and inflammation of arthritis, both osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis, cardiovascular disease, and uh, systemic inflammation which we know now contributes to most chronic diseases and which we should try to keep under wraps as much as possible. So uh, fish oil, basically, these are the essential polyunsaturated acids, uh, and uh, we should be consuming them on a regular basis. The latest studies indicate that we should at least uh, try to ingest between 1 and 2,000 milligrams a day. Uh, The most effective source of EPAs seems to be mostly uh, fish. You can also get uh, EPAs from flaxseed. They do much of the same thing, but studies seem to show they're not quite as effective for whatever reason, for some of the health challenges I just mentioned. So it's best to try to get your essential fatty acids from marine sources, if at all possible, which, of, okay. of course, is mostly the deep water fish, uh, salmon, bluefish, fish, uh, uh, mackerel uh, those are the best sources and of course supplements are very useful in these areas so uh, I think uh, especially based on the latest study in terms of flushing lactic acid out of the muscles making room for new lactic acid and new growth uh, from an even an athletic point of view we know now that they can be very essential so I would recommend to uh Anyone in the family, based on what we know up to this point, to ingesting at least between one and 2,000 milligram capsules a day of fish oil can contribute to overall better health and longevity, and that's where we are so far. And a recent study has shown that even in terms of depression, fish oil can be useful in relieving the state of depression and the feelings of depression and melancholy, that fish oil has a place even in that area. So uh, I think that definitely
1: uh, worth yes. uh, experimenting
2: with. Yes, so I think everyone should at least ingest, try to ingest at least two thousand milligrams a day. And of course, the only caveat would be uh, if you're on a bl- already on a blood thinner, then you might want to check with your physician because, of course, the the major benefit of uh, omega three fish oils is that it will act as a natural blood thinner, that, which can be very useful but if you're on a drug or on a blood thinner, it's good to check with your physician first.
1: Um, We're running out of time. And uh, again, that's a shame. (laughs) And I will talk about this. Uh, um, I've mentioned before, I'm developing some new shows and, uh, um, I want to extend uh, the duration of your show, and then also suggest a show uh, I'm contemplating about the bicameral mind and you know, different types of uh, uh, mental fitness as well as uh, physical fitness. So we will have that conversation in the very near future. Um, and also, I want to extend an invitation uh, because
2: you're you're not that far from me. We're we're in the same state. Um, yeah, we yes, we are in the same state. I'm familiar with where you – I've talked to people about your location. I've never been up that way in terms of – you're in Creskill, aren't you?
1: I'm near Creskill. Yes, I'm in Tenafly.
2: Right, so, Tenafly. Well, I'm familiar with Hackensack and T-Neck. You're beyond that, are you not?
1: Yeah, a little bit. A little bit beyond okay. that, but not, not that far beyond that. I'd like to have you over for dinner one day. Um okay. and This way uh, we can uh, uh, dream more. So thank you so much, uh, Michael. And how can folks get in contact with you?
2: Well, they can uh, write to me. My box is P.O. uh, Box 129, uh, Caldwell, New Jersey. My zip is 0706, 07006. Uh, And I have a brand new uh, Wisdom of the Hemispheres bicameral chart, laminated chart out. Uh, which uh, clearly defines the difference between a left left brain and right brain, and I think can be very useful in opening up opening up channels uh, to the infinite and I think that 's what happened will happen eventually when we engage in uh, integrated mind and thinking into integrated mind. so I have a brand new chart i 'll post it on my Facebook, and we can talk about the availability of that. All they have to do is write to me. Box 129, Caldwell, New Jersey. Absolutely free. It's laminated, eight and a half by 11.
1: If you could do me a favor and write your address in the thread with tonight's show, so people can get access to it from there as well.
2: I will. I will absolutely do that. And thank you so much for another exciting session. It's great to be with you.
1: Same here, Michael. Joyous journeys and awesome adventures. I'll talk to you soon.
2: Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Have a blessed evening.
1: You too. And we're going to listen uh, to a song, Brancadorian's King of Dreams, and then we'll be back with Ryan Foley. Greetings and welcome back to Voice of Olympus. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and tonight we are focusing on sword and sandal and optimal wellness. Um, Our next guest is a very accomplished individual who writes uh, graphic novels and books, and he uh, is into bodybuilding and is developing his own systems and a lot, lot more. So without further ado, I introduce Ryan Foley. Greetings, Ryan. Uh,
3: greetings. Thank you for having me back on this evening.
1: Oh, it, it's a great honor to have you back on. And uh, um, as I was telling uh, Michael uh, in the segment preceding, I'm uh, re- structuring the podcast because uh uh you're so great that you require more time <laughs> and uh wow. the half hour is never enough and uh so i'm working on uh, extending the shows to uh um 40 or 45 minutes rather than the 30 and that should be accomplished very soon
3: okay good yeah that sounds interesting
1: And you suggested so many awesome topics tonight that I'm not going to keep you from them. So uh, uh, I the Thunderbolt of Zeus to you, and off and running. Sure, yeah.
3: So uh, I think one of the biggest things that I've uh, really enjoyed uh, for your listeners here, uh, if this is the first time that they're uh, experiencing a conversation between us, uh, I have been uh, bodybuilding for uh, a little over five years now. It has been a fairly long journey that I've been on, and one of the things that I've been tremendously uh, impressed by that I didn't really anticipate whenever I first started going in was obviously there's going to be the physical changes, but then there was also going to be the emotional changes as well, and, and then the mental changes as well. You go through and you start uh, changing your lifestyle in order to better accommodate uh, the amount of time that you're putting in at the gym. It's kind of one of those things where you kind of go through and you start weighing back and forth uh, you know, hey, do I really need to go out uh, and, and and consume all those beers with the guys when I know that that's going to drag down my performance later on? So you kind of start right. to trade in some of the some of the stuff that's a little unhealthier, uh, just so that way you're, you're feeling better whenever it's time to go in and train. So one of the things that I was uh, really uh, excited by was that uh, I had to go in and start doing my research again. Uh, It was one of these things where I I started to put together a program, and I wasn't entirely certain where to start. Uh, And so it was a lot of cobbling a lot of information together, and this is where you kind of want to treat it a little bit like a Chinese buffet, you know, where you go through and you get advice from a variety of different people, and then you find Mm -hmm. a way to incorporate that into a style that you're looking for. And so one of the things that people uh, often ask me or the most common question that I often get is how much should I be lifting? And this is where you have to decide for yourself what are the goals that you want to attain because everyone's going to have a different goal. And depending upon what your goal is uh, dictates the strategies that you're going to take. Whenever it comes to, whenever it comes to lifting, I think that's, I think one of the biggest misconceptions, uh, and I, I noticed this with some of my coworkers cause they were commenting about how, oh, well, I don't think I'd be able to do what you do. You know, I'd probably only be able to lift the bar. And so I, I think a lot of people think that all bodybuilders are naturally lifting just tremendously heavy amounts of weight. And i found mm-hmm. that that's not really the case. It, it depends upon what you're looking for. So let's say you're a, a type of person and you decide that you want to get really big and really strong. And so this is more of a power aspect where your rep range is going to be very small. It's going to be, uh, you know, somewhere between three and maybe five reps at the most. Uh, and, and just a quick Uh, Disclaimer here Whenever I'm talking about a number of reps What we're actually looking for uh, I consider it to be failure Minus one So you're going for as, So you're trying to lift as much weight As you can For a certain predetermined amount of reps Uh, And I don't want to jump Too far ahead here So like whenever we're talking about uh, Hypertrophy And where your Uh rep range is 8 to 12 uh, You can't just go through And lift any amount of weight 12 times and go, well, the guy on the internet said, I just have to lift it 12 times. It's it's actually, it's a, it's to failure minus one. So you're pushing your body to that limit. So when you're, so if you go through and you decide, okay, I want to get, I want to get really big uh, and I want to get really strong. This is where you're doing a power lifting style where you're lifting, where your rep counts are somewhere between three and five, but then you're also experiencing long downtime in between sets because what you're attempting to do, much like what Michael was talking about in the previous session, that lactic acid, that's the fatigue. That's what keeps you from from getting that other set. And the harder that you work, the more lactic acid you're going to build up. So you're so you're taking long breaks in between these sets in order to let that lactic acid dump out of your system so that way you're as strong as possible for the next session, whenever for your next set of of reps. So if you want to get big and strong, that's where you're lifting very heavy, but for short intervals of time.
4: Mm
0: -hmm. Now
3: the kind of, kind of a a good general uh, hypertrophy is, is kind of the best of both worlds. It's where you want to get big, but you also want to get strong, but you're also looking to, to develop that lean muscle. And this is where your rep ranges are somewhere between eight and 12. And so whenever you're doing that, it's, it's a combination of both endurance and then it's also a combination of, of fairly heavy weight. But for me personally, one of the things, and I, this is probably the majority of, of our audience, because, I mean, let's face it, we're, we're all looking to get a little leaner. And so, uh-huh, uh, yes. and, which is what, that's what I'm doing as well. So I, I know that struggle all too well. Uh, so what I have, uh, what I've elevated to is an extremely high rep count. And so whenever I first got into really high reps, uh, I was sitting here and I was like, okay, so if if your power lifting is somewhere between three and five and your hypertrophy is somewhere around eight to 12, well, then we'll just kick it up and maybe we'll go to, uh, you know, maybe like 15, maybe 20 reps, you know, 25 at the absolute most. Uh, but then again, because we're in this unprecedented era of just information, it is everywhere yes. and it's such, the internet is such a fantastic tool that a lot of people didn't have access to uh, you know uh, bodybuilding and, and weightlifting it was almost kind of like this secret sport back in the 70s where those who knew you know uh, they were all in part of this this culture this club uh, but now it's been exposed to everywhere and there's not a single doctor on the planet that will disagree uh you know they're going to tell you that the best thing you can do for all sports General wellness, everything is a nice uh, amount of resistance training. Now uh, I'm I'm doing which resistance training is, is the fanciful word for lifting weights. Uh, so now th- they recommend maybe you only need to lift weights about you know two times a week, but and they're advocating you know something along the lines of, of thirty minutes a day, uh, of of rigorous cardiovascular activity. Uh, I lift I lift five days a week, but uh, just because of my schedule and because that's the type of training that I enjoy. So again, uh, going and looking at research, I started looking at professional wrestlers because the professional wrestlers, they do have a a bodybuilding physique that is often designed for aesthetics. They're looking for, they have a certain look, uh, you know, that uh, that I'm attempting to achieve. And so Mm -hmm. when the professional wrestlers were talking about rep ranges of 50, I was, I was, Floored by how many reps that is, and especially once you get in and you start experiencing it, it's it's a whole other animal, and you have to really check your ego at the door because you know you don't look very impressive when you're sitting there struggling with a, a five pound pair of dumbbells, but that's right. because no one's paying no one's paying attention to how many times you're lifting it. They just look over and they see that you've got the five pound dumbbells. Uh, but by going through and doing this massive extended amount of, of reps, what you're doing is, is you're working harder for a longer amount of time.
1: Now, now is this uh, straight reps, uh, fifty straight reps, or uh, sets of uh, the total uh, fifty reps?
3: I've actually been uh, working with that, and I'm not entirely certain which is the absolute best way to go. Because, uh, and this is where I've done sets where it's just fifty straight. Uh, I okay. have been implementing the, the five system that we've talked about where it's uh, I'm awesome. doing five reps at a time and, and then switching over and, and doing the five sets. And so doing that for a total of 50 reps without ever putting the dumbbells down. But I think this is where uh, it's, it's okay to do both, or at least at the very least go through and say, Hey, for these eight weeks, I'm going to do 50 straight reps. And then for, and then for the eight weeks after that, uh, I'm going to do a five system uh, where you're lifting weights, you know, for, for sets of five, uh, multiple sets of five in in a single circuit. And so by doing that, you're shocking your muscles. And so that way they're not getting used to what you're, uh, to what you're trying to do because they are advocating uh, of going through and training, uh, switching up your training uh, roughly, you'd be know, about every 12 weeks. So it's, it's not a bad thing to, to do that. So what the doctors are saying is that, the, the general format is – or the, the formula is you take the number 220 and then you subtract your age from that number. And then that number, if you, if you take about 70% of that number, that's what you want your heart rate to be in order for you to, uh, t- uh, in order for you to achieve an aerobic burn. And so by going through and limiting your rest, And using uh, antagonistic sets you're never letting your heart rate drop below so that so the amount when you're actually sitting there and lifting weights uh, you're actually getting an aerobic burn out of it and then you'll find that if you switch uh, and if you're doing that consistently on a regular basis once you jump on the treadmill you're gonna find that you've got a lot more heart health going in there so you're able to go longer and, and stronger on the treadmill whereas if you're looking for more of a powerlifting aspect, which is not what I'm attempting to do, uh, to go through and, and to do one set of three to five reps and then resting for three minutes, that's just going counterculture to what I'm attempting to do. I, I, I don't really have a need to go through. There's no practical reason for me to squat 400 pounds. Uh, yes. There's really no real practical reason for me to you know, to bench press 250. Uh, so I've been dropping back tremendously in my weight, but then in going through and doing these, doing my research. Uh, so I'm I'm in Oklahoma, and, and in Oklahoma we live and die by college football. It's it's probably one of the more popular sports within the state, and so whenever and so we're also in the Midwest, so we do have a lot of farms here in our in our area. And one of the things that the coaches and the scouts that they talk about is if a kid is farm strong. And so there's Jim okay. Strong and then there's Farm Strong. And those Farm Strong boys, they get to where they're, so they get to where they get to not because they go out and they lift one bale of hay that's 100 pounds and set it on the truck. It's because they're taking those 10 pound bales of hay and they're lifting them. 50 times over and over and over again. And that repetitive movement, I, I want to believe I'd have to go through and I'd have to really, I'd, I'd have to talk to a professional because I want to know what those numbers, how they stack up with as far as like the sports science. But I contend that by actually, by lifting a lesser amount of weight for a longer amount of time, I'm actually lifting more gross tonnage than the guy who's doing the power lifting. Because, I mean, if he's bench pressing, uh, you know, 300 pounds, but he's only doing it once, and I'm bench pressing 100 pounds, but I'm doing it 10 times, I've actually lifted more weight per cap- I don't know if per capita is the right word. But, uh, but you know, but so uh, if we were to stack it up on sheer volume, I'm lifting more than he is. So, I would have to. So, I've got to believe that somewhere deep down that farm strong analogy, man, that's got to come into play. And so, I think by doing it over and over again at a lower weight, I actually think that you're going to get stronger in the long run, or at the very least, you're going to get more um, uh, functionally stronger because I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people do whenever they first get in the gym. Uh, they want to prove how strong they are, and you know they don't want to mess around with the, the small amounts of weights because, oh, those are for the little girls. Uh, but it's not just about building your muscles. It's about building those tendons. It's about you know, it, incorporating your body, telling, hey, this is what we're going to do, and, and you've got to slowly get there. So you see, so there are times where you do sort of have to walk before you can run. And so by going through and adopting this, this attitude of lifting less, But doing it with a surgical form and lifting properly, I believe you're not going to get hurt as much. And if you get hurt, that's when the the training pushes you back even farther. Whereas if you just would have checked your ego a little bit and, you know, and and maybe slowed it down just a tad and lifted a more comfortable amount of weight, you're actually going to get a a better return in your workouts.
1: Wow. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense.
3: I don't have the numbers and the data to back that up, but it's kind of one of those truthiness uh, arguments that you have where it feels right in your gut, you know, where it's right. say, well, okay, we're, we're lifting more weight. We're just doing it in smaller, more compact, uh, uh, compact lifts.
1: Now I've been uh, playing with your five system that you introduced uh, and uh, I've been having great results uh, with that because uh, it's, helped me break through the whole progression thing where uh every time I do a workout I try to add like two and a half pounds and you know uh stay, you know, when I get to uh, uh twelve and I can't do any more, then drop it down to you know, increase the weight and drop it down to eight. Uh and uh I was progressing but it was progressing very slowly and the uh five system Uh, broke me right through that, and uh, I saw increase in poundages, uh, you know, very quickly, and it's also more fun, so uh, I find myself into the workout as often as I possibly can.
3: The the only thing that I'm not certain about that, and that was uh, brought to my attention because of the YouTube channel of Dr. Jim Stepani. And that's the the only question, if I could talk to Dr. Stepani directly, I think that'd be one of the questions that I would ask is, are you better off doing um, a a straight 50 reps uh, or or is it more of an aerobic burn um, by using this five system? Because, yeah, because you can start off with a tremendously, uh, almost, the weight almost feels too easy, uh, especially if you're working at the really low end of, of, you know, fives and tens. And then when you start working your way up to the 25s and up to the 30s, uh, and then you start working your way back down, I'm not certain if the five system is superior for an aerobic burn or not. So I, it's kind of one of those things where I have to figure out – I have to do enough numbers in order to try to figure out which is my, is my best route to go. But that's what been one of the, the bigger problems that I have whenever it comes to developing a, a system is that we see ourselves every day. And so therefore right. it's very difficult for us to see those improvements that we're doing or, or if we're even, you know, gaining an improvement. Uh, and that's where I think most people, they want to go through and they want to base their successes strictly upon the scale. And I think that's just such a, a huge detriment. I mean, I, I do understand it's, it's a good idea to keep an eye on your weight, but if you're going through and you're solely basing whether or not you're being successful Based upon what the scale is telling you, I think that you're almost setting yourself up for failure in that regard because your body composition is going to change. You're going to start to develop. You're going to start to pack on more muscle and muscle is going to weigh more. So you may go through and you may come along and be like, man, I've been at this for 12 weeks and I actually gained two pounds, you know, but if it's more a difference of, you know, hey, my clothes are fitting better, I'm feeling better. To me, that's the that's the real way where you can gauge your process as opposed to some number that, that a scale is telling you.
1: I, I learned that long ago, too, because I used to weigh myself also, and I would get frustrated because the numbers would go up. And uh, then I, I decided to just go by my clothes, you know, my clothes fitting me uh, better. Um, you know, uh, and I find that that gives me a better gauge of uh, how I'm doing with the weight.
3: Exactly. I mean, I know, so one of the guys that I uh, look up to and I admire uh, is John Cena, a tremendous uh, bodybuilder and and professional wrestler, Uh, but I'm sure uh, him and and The Rock, uh, you know, with those guys both, you know, weighing in at somewhere around 260 pounds, but my God, what a 260 pounds, you know, it's it's, well put together. I don't think there's a doctor on the planet that would go, oh, You might want to think about losing 20 pounds, you know, even though technically, uh, you know, at being at, uh, you know, 6'2 and and being 260, if you just look at those numbers, they go, oh, I I guess these guys are overweight because they're not not within this certain medical range. But then you take a look at them and you go, okay, yeah, they're 260, (laughs) a little different than mine.
1: Yes, I've heard that numerous times throughout my life. Yeah. And it, it always struck me as very amazing because muscle does weigh more than uh, uh, regular meat or fat. Right. Well,
3: so, so, so just to, yeah. for a brief, a brief recap for your listeners there. So I, I think one of the best things that you can do is to decide what you want your goal to be. And so if you've decided that you uh, maybe you, you feel that you are underweight, and you're wanting to put on more mass or you're wanting to get incredibly strong, I think that's where you have to go through it and adopt more of a powerlifting aspect, which is again, your rep range is going to be between three and five with long rests in between. Uh, but if, you, if you're wanting to get a, a, the, the best of both worlds, if your goal is, is to get bigger and stronger, uh, that's where mm-hmm. you're going through, where you're hoping to find hypertrophy, which is where your rep range is between eight and 12. And the way I've always explained to people is if you can go through and you can get 12 reps of a certain set, make your goal to be 10. And so if you can only get eight, that's okay. Keep working. Once you get to 10, okay, now try to get to 12. And then once you get to 12, now you need to increase the weight by five pounds. And by doing that, you'll find that that you'll drop back down to eight, uh, and you'll only be able to achieve eight reps. And then from there, you can start moving forward, and then it just kind of wash, rinses, and repeats. So that's hypertrophy with a rep range of between 8 to 12. But then if you're also looking to get leaner, that's when I do advocate uh, using uh, a a system where you're using um, antagonistic sets. So that way, uh, if if you're doing a, a bench press push, then you counter that with, say, like a seated table row. So that way you're getting a good, nice back and forth, and so uh, your chest is able to relax while you're working your back, so that way you can maintain an elevated heart rate throughout. And by doing that, you'll achieve more of, of a leaner look, which I think is what most, of us, what most people going to the gym are trying to do, is they're trying to shed those, those unwanted pounds. And so that's, that's the best way to do it, is to go with a high rep range with a lower amount of weight.
1: As always, you've given me a phenomenal amount of things to think about. And uh, um, what I'm going to try uh, this week is uh, looking into the wrestlers and what they do for the reasons that you gave, because that, that's, uh, that's very insightful. And uh, uh, I could definitely benefit from uh, learning more about that. So thank you. And
3: no, sure. It's absolutely. And it's just kind of one of those things. Uh, again, treat it like a Chinese buffet, you know, take a look at what uh, other people are doing. And I advocate this for all your listeners, you know, find something that you enjoy. Because that's really that's really the most important thing. Yes it is. When you come along and, and you absolutely hate something, I do understand, hey, we all hate leg day. Uh it's it's longer and stronger, it drains the tank faster, no one enjoys it, but it is something that you have to do. But at the same time, find something that you enjoy, because if you enjoy it, you're gonna keep going back to it or you're gonna find ways to improve it and, and way to finesse that style. But if you go through and you drudge and, you, and, you, and you're having to drag yourself to the gym, then you're going to find that your motivation is going to start to wane. So by all means, yeah, that's I think that's probably one of the single most important things.
1: Be dedicated, but also have fun with it. I tried posting a picture of uh, what you look like, you know, when you're, when you're posing. I couldn't get it to post on my timeline. Um so uh, if you can, it might be a permission thing, I don't know, but uh, if you could post on my timeline, I'd greatly appreciate it, because you look awesome. Well, thank you very much. I, I absolutely
3: can do that for you.
1: And how can folks uh, enter your world, Ryan? There's so many different things you're doing.
3: The, the promotion that you do with your page is probably the absolute best way. I, I don't really have an official website, uh, so really just all the, the promotion that you do through through your Uh, Facebook page is is the absolute best way for them to get in contact with me.
1: Thank you so very much. I'm already looking forward to our next conversation and uh, I'm working very hard on uh, extending it. So uh, thank you very much, Ryan. You're an inspiration uh, to me and to uh, many others and uh, uh, everything from your creative efforts to your bodybuilding. So thank you very much.
3: Thank you very much. I'm just, I, hope that, uh, I hope that people come away from this with uh, enough knowledge and, and information to be excited and, and to head back into the gym. Uh,
1: that is an awesome thing, and I hope so, too. Um, and uh, I'm going to be inviting you uh, also to join the Order of the Golden Fleece. So that sounds that fantastic. Will be, that will be in a conversation probably uh, uh, over PM or email uh, in the very near future. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, sir. Okay, be well, and uh, until next time, joyous journeys and awesome adventures. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. We're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Gently Johnny, and then we'll be back with Ron Carson and his Coliseum. And welcome back to Voice of Olympus I am Hercules Invictus, your host And for our next segment, I welcome back Ron Carson Who will take us into his coliseum And uh, tonight he'll be focusing on The Robe Greetings and welcome, cousin How are you? Yasu Hercules, what's going on? Um, I'm overwhelmed by the amount of awesome information that I've been getting on tonight's uh, show. I had Michael Uh DeRussi and Ryan Foley, and we're talking about uh, bodybuilding, and uh, uh, now I have a lot of things I want to try out.
5: Well, I'm sure you'll experiment as of tomorrow morning.
1: I certainly will. How how have you been doing?
5: I've been busy. Uh, I'm still at the uh, radio station because it's like, I don't have cell service where I live in my new uh, apartment so I have to stay here to do the interview and I'm all set to go.
1: Okay, awesome. So uh, you seem to be focusing on biblical epics. Um, So uh, I I know that your heart is in them so uh, I'm very much looking forward to what you have to share with us about The Robe.
5: Well, it's a film that had a lot of firsts to it. Remember, we're talking about 1953. And uh-huh. the theme for this picture is the military tribune in Rome who commanded the unit responsible for Jesus Christ's crucifixion. And when, being that it was a first in the wide, released in the widescreen process called Cinemascope. So back okay. then we're talking about, you know, 1953 where they were trying out a lot of uh, new ways to show movies in the cinemas. And it looks like this widescreen idea caught on because a lot of other movies followed in the rope's footsteps.
1: I didn't know that. I didn't know that the world ushered in the widescreen era. That's amazing. Mm
5: Mm-hmm. And this was the responsibility of director Henry Koster. And did you know that there was a sequel – the year later, entitled Demetrius and the Gladiators. I'm sure you've heard of that picture.
1: Yes, I've heard of that. I think I have it somewhere.
5: Oh, okay. I wouldn't be surprised that it's in your collection over here. But, you know, the uh, movie focuses on around the time that uh, Jesus Christ sacrificed his life as the Son of God, and we're talking about the time period of 32 to 38 Anno Domini. And the main principal character in this film is Marcellus Galio, who is the son of an important Roman senator. And he is pretty much uh, the uh, catalyst throughout this whole movie. And uh, the role of Marcellus was played by the legendary Richard Burton. So need I say any more on this one? No, definitely
1: worth a rewatch. So I'm going to see if I could uh, dig it out of uh, wherever in my uh, collection it happens to be, because I'm pretty sure I have this and Demetrius in the Gladiators. Mm-hmm.
5: And Gene Simmons portrayed his love interest, who was also his childhood sweetheart, Diana. And the film opens where Marcellus is at odds with Caligula. Yes, he is in that movie also. If you remember Malcolm McDowell's a uh, film. of films, yeah,
1: that I have to which somewhere. Was,
5: which was very, very gross, if you ask me, in more ways than one. But they don't show Caligula's ugly side in this particular uh picture. But okay. um they are in battle, Marcellus and Caligula, for a Greek slave named Demetrius, who is wonderfully portrayed by Victor Mature. And Marcellus wins his uh slave and Caligula wants him to go to Jerusalem in Palestine. Now in reality Marcellus has some empathy for Demetrius who re- actually releases him and goes on his own to Gallio and then you see a lot of Diana in the picture because Marcellus and her were, you know, an item many moons ago and she professes her love for him and intercedes on his behalf with Tiberius if you remember. And yeah. Marcellus is also in Jerusalem, on, ironically on Palm Sunday, the same day Jesus made his triumphant entry into the Holy Land. And then they follow into Jesus's arrest and the court scene with Pontius Pilate played by Richard Boone who was, of course, paladin and Have Gun Will Travel, Mm -hmm. the old Western. And ironically, the rope comes into the picture during the trial, where Marcellus wins it in a dice game, and it would be a reminder of the first crucifixion that he was responsible for. Now... The robe is not exactly a uh, friend of Marcellus's because as soon as he slips it on, he has a very, very big guilt for being responsible for the death of Christ, and tears the robe off, and then Demetrius takes it. And then eventually, the story just keeps folding as both travel to Palestine and meet up with Justice a weaver in Cana And Marcellus wants Demetrius to Destroy the robe Believing that it's cursed And because of this Marcellus actually has A lot of guilt Because of the fact that He was responsible For the uh, death of an innocent man On the cross So eventually Demetrius gave the rule back to Marcellus and then in Rea Kern he became a Christian. Okay. It was not a good thing. That was not a good thing in those days as now they meet up with a gentleman by the name of Peter who was played by Michael Rennie in the movie. If you remember the day the earth stood still, the science yes. fiction movie, he was mm-hmm. the uh, principal actor in that role. And of course he portrayed the Sandman in one of the Batman episodes too, back in the sixties. That and is the very that... distinctive, the very distinctive British accent that Michael Rennie had, very much, uh, you know, permeated this uh, particular uh, picture also. So, but um, it seems like Caligula gets back into the picture again. Afterwards, um, Peter points out to Marcellus that. Jesus forgave him from the cross prior to his death. And as a result, his uh, conversion to Christianity branded him a traitor in Caligula's eyes. Uh, Demetrius was already captured and is being tortured. And Marcellus and Diana reunite and they rescue Demetrius. And then eventually, the bottom line is that they all get caught again at the end and Marcellus is condemned to death. And then uh, Diana accepts her role as a Christian also and seeks to join the love of her life and denounced Caligula as an insane, tyrannical monster. And the tail end of the movie is that Diana, before she was condemned, gives the robe to Marsipur. And that was pretty much the end of that film.
1: And as you said, it continues... Demetrius of the in the gladiators. Yes, and, and then it,
5: and then it became a sequel afterwards a year later with Demetrius and the gladiators. Now, if you ever notice the uh, poster of the film, okay, it says "20th Century Fox is the robe in Technicolor, the first motion picture in CinemaScope, the modern miracle you see without glasses." and The widescreen movie was a real hit with audiences because the film earned over $17 million during its release, which back in 1953 was a lot of money, if you remember, too. Yes. And if you purchase the movie in DVD or Blu-ray, you're actually going to be able to get the original widescreen format. So you said you have that in your collection, Cuz?
1: I believe that I still do. I'm going to check. Uh, I've been separating yeah. my classical uh, uh, Greco-Roman from the uh, biblical uh, epics because you've introduced that into the show. Uh, I yeah. haven't watched in years, but uh, I have a whole stack of them. I'll need to look through them after the show. Well, be on the lookout. Be on the lookout because of the fact
5: tell. that you might have a copy of the widescreen edition now. Here are a couple of other well-known actors that were in this movie but were uncredited, included Michael Sarah, who was Judas. Um, also, David Leonard was the main character, Marsapor that I mentioned at the end. Cameron Mitchell, the character actor, was known as was the voice of Jesus. And Jane Avello portrayed the role of Tyrell. And these were all uncredited roles in the movie for some strange reason. And the role did do very well in the Academy Awards because it did win Best Picture for nineteen fifty three in the Golden Globes. Not an Oscar but a Golden Globe. But it did win two awards, including Best Costume Design and Best Art Direction. So you know, this was ahead of its time, for sure. And it was a movie that was a trailblazer. I'm sorry?
1: It certainly was. It sounds like it. from what It was Trailblazer
5: from. because it opened the door to a lot of other directors experimenting with the widescreen format. Now, here's another uh, interesting tidbit. When it came to TV, okay, mm-hmm. it was on ABC. It ran on Easter weekend because that's normally the time when they run all these biblical couple of movies. If you remember the Ten Commandments is always a staple on that network every Easter. And ironically, it only had one commercial break. Okay. Which was something that was not granted, you know, in regular primetime television. Not even The Wizard of Oz got one commercial break. It was constantly interrupted, if you remember, when we were watching that on TV many moons ago.
1: Yes, sir, you remember that.
5: But, of course, now I have the DVD and the video, so I don't have to worry about commercial breaks (laughs) if I ever want to pop that classic film in there, too. Even though it's not of a peplum genre, it's still one of the best uh, pictures that ever came out on the silver screen. And you owe it to yourself if they ever, you know, bring it to a theater near you to catch it, you know, in a movie house where you get the full experience, just like a lot of people did back in 1939. And that's what makes it a very much magical effort over here. But, uh, yeah, I figured the rope would be a good, uh, movie to discuss. Cause it did open up doors. It did feature Richard Burton in a very, very, uh, you know, detailed role. This was way before he did Cleopatra, with Elizabeth Taylor. We're talking about a decade before then, And, It definitely was a movie ahead of its time, and it really was one of those films that command your attention from start to finish. And like I said, the biblical epics still fall into the peplum genre, and it kind of, like, interests me more because of the fact that we still, you know, rely on these types of background films to, uh, to, you know, to focus on religion as well, so... That's basically the reason why I wanted to spotlight this movie today.
1: Okay, uh, incredibly awesome. Uh, I uh, look at the other movies for much the same reason. My spirituality is mythic, and I've always resonated more with Olympics mm-hmm. uh, than I have yes. with uh, uh, Christianity. Uh, so, uh, But yes, you're absolutely right. And uh, uh, I was talking with one of our guests earlier, Michael Del Russo, about how uh-huh. for growing up, uh, this was our mythology. This was our religious instruction. There are all of these films, they they took what we were learning in parochial school, and they brought it to life uh, on the television That's or cool. movie screen. Now, um, you have also suggested a new uh, peplum group on Facebook uh, that you find a lot of uh, merit in,
5: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Passione, Peril Peplum. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. but tell You me are about pronouncing
5: that. it 110% correct, uh, Hercules. Okay, and awesome. this is a group that you, myself, Stephen Smith, and Nick Whale are a part of. And the admin is Francesco Pegoglio. And he's uh-huh. based out in Carrara, Italy. And it's just like the Peplum Paradise page, where it features an assortment of magical moments from the sword and sandal era, terrific pictures from worldwide uh, members sharing their love for this genre of cinema, and the only difference is that you have to hit the translation button because most right. of the posts are in Italian or other foreign languages.
1: Uh, but I would say... Or, yes. It uh, it has a lot of really awesome pictures and a lot of uh, very useful information.
5: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, it's a carbon copy of what Nick and Steve do with Peplum Paradise, and that's why I became a member of this group. I know you did, too. Nick and yeah. Steve, I get told you, are also a part of this, uh, you know, terrific mix of people. And even though it's a European version, it's still captures the magic uh, and the aura of these types of movies that we've grown to love throughout the years and still do to this day.
1: Oh, most certainly so.
5: So Now, if you you... love the genre, just like we do, this Uh is worth your while to be a part of this exciting and action-packed page on Facebook. I do recommend it with a capital R. And, yes, it is drama-free also.
1: And that is very important. There's enough drama. Very in the, important in the world. I don't
5: like being. I don't like being in groups that contain drama. And like I said, I'm an admin on uh, Gilligan's Island and Batman group on Facebook. And if I see any sort of drama or any sort of insult or any sort of inappropriate comments, they immediately get removed. And if something really gets my goat, the uh, person is blocked from the group, and I've done that numerous times, and I will not hesitate because, you know, I want these group pages to be happy, to be united with people who have memories of the shows in question, to not provide any insults, to not provide any, uh, you know, inappropriate and rude remarks, filthy remarks, you know what I mean? I mean... You get so many of these trolls on Facebook. And, you know, you don't realize once other admins add them and then you find out from what they're posting, you know, that they're causing trouble. And it's what I don't want. And I'm glad that the peplum groups that are in, that are, I'm in have none of these so-called trolls in them. We're all getting together and we're having a good time reminiscing about these fantastic moments in cinema, past and even present. So uh definitely I would recommend joining Passion Peril Peplum with a capital with a capital R. Recommended for sure.
1: Very awesome. And we're approaching the end of our half hour. I shared with our other guests that I'm reformatting the the shows so by the okay. fall uh, uh, the 30-minute shows are going to be 40 minutes long, so I'll keep you posted on that. Uh, because yes, please do. um out of time, um, so uh, I'm playing with the schedule, and uh, uh, we'll be able to focus on uh, more information on each show, and uh, uh, we won't always be in a rush. So uh, I will, when I see you on Wednesday, I will talk to you about that.
5: That sounds like a plan, because I'm, I'm looking forward to quarterbacking with you on that, so... Uh, I'm glad I was able to make another appearance uh, to reopen the Coliseum and to uh, reintroduce another classic biblical epic that some people probably have not seen or have forgotten about in all these decades. And definitely the uh, Peplum Group is uh, a must if you're a fan of the genre like we are.
1: Before we wrap up, how can folks yes. uh, listen to you on the radio um, okay. and uh, Continue your adventures, and how can they find out more about you?
5: All right. Well, you know, I'm on WSBS radio in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. I work the midday shift there from 10 a.m. until 3 p.m. every Monday through Friday plus Saturday mornings. They can easily access the stream on WSBS.com. On the homepage, there's an icon that says Listen Now, and you are able to uh, tap in and listen to the show. And I still do a Sunday morning oldie show east of here in Putnam, Connecticut, called Jukebox Gold on Sundays. But that's going to be more of a limited uh, appearance down the road because the uh, extensive traveling is getting to me right now in more ways than one. So, But Understood. you can still access that uh, show Sunday mornings, WINYradio.com. And I'm there in the mornings from 6 until 11. So. But that's some changes to be determined down the road for that. But the uh, Great Barrington uh, show pretty much is a staple. That's the uh, bread and butter, so to speak.
1: So please feel free to post it in the thread uh, for tonight's show. And this where people uh, uh, might want to check it out. Uh, thank you, Cousin. Sagapo. And I'm looking forward to yep. seeing you on Wednesday. Thank you for doing All tonight's right. show.
5: Sagapo, And uh, we'll talk Wednesday. Kalinista.
1: We're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Merlin Am I, and then we are back with Daniel Timothy Espy and Zach McAtee for Mythic Gaming.
4: Battle of Ard
1: Greetings and welcome back to Voice of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, your host, and uh, I'm honored to introduce our last segment for tonight. It is a mythic inspiration segment called Mythic Gaming, and our regular um, co-host is Timothy Espy of Level One Games, and our recurring guest is Zach McAtee. Uh, Greetings and welcome, gentlemen. How are you?
6: Good, how are you? Good evening
1: uh, I'm doing incredibly awesome. Good to hear. <laughs> I dropped by to see you the other day because was oh yeah when was that? um I believe it was on Saturday
6: oh uh, okay yeah i left uh I got to leave work early that day because I worked uh, a um like thirteen hour shift on friday so
1: wow. <laughs> So, what is new and exciting at Level One Games?
6: Um, I just got back from vacation. Um, I was off for two weeks, so uh,
1: mm-hmm.
6: yeah, so it was nice. I went to Norway, so it was, uh, it, was it was a good trip. Um, but uh, yeah, everything is moving along very well. Um, finally, got over the uh, the craziness with the new pre-releases for the new Magic set and Pokemon. So now we're just uh-huh. cruising along waiting for the waiting for the next one.
1: And what is the next one?
6: Um it's called Throne of Eldraine is the new Magic set that's coming out in September. Um how- they, how- haven't released, the- they haven't really, Yeah, um they haven't released too much information on it. a little bit of spoilers, but uh I know that it's a it's a plane that they visited before, I believe. I think it's the same Playing as the battle bombs plane, Um, so there should be some uh, interesting mechanics and uh, some cool cars coming out.
1: Zach, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, welcome, Zach. How are you? Doing well yourself? Uh, Awesome. And uh, uh, what new adventures are you having in uh, gaming? Uh, well, after we talked last time about the Alien
7: RPG, I decided to look into it more and see if they were going to kickstart it or how they were going to publish it, and I found out that they, uh, they aren't kickstarting it, it's a a company from Scandinavia that's publishing it out, and they were calling for early proofreaders and playtesters. so I threw my my money and hat in the ring, and uh, I've gotten early download copies of it, I've been reviewing and. Submitting many oh, things awesome. in, so I'll be listed as a extra credit on that. And, uh, uh, right now I am attempting to learn a new system called Fate of the Norns Ragnarok, which is based oh, wow. off of Norse mythology, and instead of using dice, uses a bag of runes
3: from the Elder Futhark.
1: Oh, very cool. <laughs> I used to teach runes years ago, uh... I started teaching runes, I think, in the 90s, and uh, I stopped teaching uh, runes in uh, uh, before, like the um, before 2010, I guess. But I have a long history okay. with the runes, and I'd love to see a game based on the runes.
7: Yeah, it's very interesting. You uh, you add them to a draw bag instead of taxing them, and then okay. based off of the actions you take, you draw from the bag, and the runes you take. And the colors they come in will influence how successful your actions are. And in the swing mechanic is that, that when you take damage, you remove some from your bag. So you're limiting what options you're going to have for the rest of the encounter.
1: And how detailed are the options? I'm sorry, come again. How detailed are the options?
7: They seem fairly detailed so far I'm in the beginning stages of the book So I haven't gotten all the way through It's a particularly meaty one I want to say it's 400 something pages
1: We seem to have Cthulhu on the line as well Sorry, what was that? It sounds like we have Cthulhu on the line From my end I'm getting like chittering uh, um, static Can you guys hear that Or is it just my board that's acting up tonight?
7: Yeah, we're close to uh, the the highway running by, and there's a lot of cars right now. We're we're moving around to the back of the building to see if that helps out.
1: Thanks. So it sounds like very exciting new games. Uh, What type of games are you running at uh, level one?
6: Um, Right now, we're doing the two D and D groups. Um, One is still the, uh, I guess it's more of the like the starter. You know starter set for the newer people, and then the okay. uh, the second the second um, the second session is one that's uh heavy on the role play aspect, and it's a traveling carnival of uh, of different of different people traveling throughout you know their land, running across different people and people it's better for people dropping in and dropping out because it just works better with the story.
1: And is there is are they a bunch of one shots or is it a, uh, a larger campaign that's uh, tied together with the stories?
6: Yep, it's uh both of them are ongoing campaigns. Uh, next week there'll be a one shot. I'm not sure what uh, our DM is doing, but the uh, the main two are the
1: uh, are still ongoing stories. Um, I recently uh, started uh, picking up because I have a PlayStation Four now, as you know. Um, and I recently started uh gathering together games, so I've uh focused on uh um Mass Effect. Oh, okay. uh, I, I have the uh PlayStation 3 Mass Effects, and now I have the PlayStation 4 uh Mass Effect uh, Andromeda. And I picked up some of the graphic novels and uh um you know strategy guides and so forth, so I'm contemplating uh. Uh, immersing myself uh, in that. Do you have any feedback on Mass Effect?
6: Um, I know that one of my uh, close friends is incredibly into Mass Effect. Um, I only have played Mass Effect Two, I believe it was Two, um, but the 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 amount of work that Bioware puts into those games is is staggering, and the and the lore behind it and the whole backstory. So the the uh, the graphs or the novels would be would be interesting to see where they go with that.
1: Yeah, they, they seem to really have taken time to flesh out the, the universe and to make it uh, connect. Uh, I couldn't figure out how to use the controller with the PlayStation 4 game, the Andromeda. So I figured I'd play with the PlayStation uh, 3 for a while till I feel you know, uncomfortable with uh, uh, those controls. And then I'll uh, reattempt the PlayStation 4 game. Right. And you had recommended fallout. So that's the next one I'm going to look into. Um, Can you um, refresh me on fallout again? Fallout also has novels and graphic novels, I believe uh, too.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Their, their lore gets pretty deep as well. Really, really, really deep. Um, But uh, my favorite fallout was, uh, was fallout three, which is uh, a hot button issue between a lot of the big fans of the original fallouts. But, uh, but it's a post apocalyptic um nuclear nuclear disaster type of thing where it was uh twenty seventy seven um uh one i think it was the u s launched the nuke and then everybody else kind of retaliated against each other and it okay. kind of wiped everybody out except for uh select people that got to go into vaults that are you know underground or in mountains and uh fallout three takes place in 2277. So 200 years after, um, and it's, uh, you know, about finding your, uh, your son or your father. Um, fall three is about finding your son and, uh, right. Is it your father? I think, well, you found your father in three, I guess three and four mixed up. Um, but it's, you know, exploring the wasteland as they call it. Fallout three takes place around Washington, DC area. And, uh, Fallout New Vegas takes place, you know, more out west, which is Fallout 3 But it's, a, it's an amazing post-apocalyptic story, you know, and, and just the – I like that game for being able to just walk around and experience the sights and, I don't know, the destruction of it all. It's a, it's a really, really – I don't know. I, I have a lot of fun with that game. Um, and uh,
1: I saw that uh, there are, like, collection uh, um, this – where they have several of them in one place. So that yeah you know, that'll make uh, gathering them a bit easier.
6: Yeah, yeah. Fallout one and two are, are way different styles. They're uh they're isometric, um kind of like the old school like uh like uh looks like Emory was it? talking about. Um no uh wow, I'm drawing a blank. Diablo uh Diablo, thank you. <laughs> oh okay um, I love the album. So Fallout One and Two, yeah, Fallout One and Two was more of that style looking. Um, it's not a dungeon crawler, but that that looking style, where Fallout Three is mainly a first-person shooter, if you will. First-person, which you can go into third-person, but um, yeah, the, the different company kind of took over the helm for Fallout Three.
1: And there was one that seemed to be like a prehistoric times. Uh, Do they also time travel?
6: That would be Far Cry. That's Far Cry Primal is the name of it.
1: Oh okay. So it's a different That's another game first
6: person shooter as well. Yeah.
1: I got the first sorry about that.
6: Yep. Yeah, that, that that's a first person shooter as well. But you know, primal, you know, you're using bows and arrows and spears and stuff.
1: Uh incredibly awesome. Um I uh there is there was a new Diablo that came out recently. Um, I don't know what they called it, but it, it seemed very different, so I read the back of the box, and uh, it's, it's that there were more expansions to Diablo 3, uh, so they included like an ultimate uh, type of edition.
6: Yeah, from uh, from what I've gathered, the uh, they fixed a lot of the issues that people had with the later expansions and made it more like Diablo 1 and 2, um, so if you're into those, it's worth checking out the uh, the ultimate version of it.
1: Because I love Diablo one and two. Diablo three kept hitting me with too much, informa- too much information. <laughs> uh, Diablo just wander around, you know, uh, killing things basically. And uh, here they were, they wanted me you know, to make decisions, and uh, uh, that is isn't why I played Diablo.
6: Right. Yeah. Like I said, they kind of fixed a lot of the issues that people had with the uh, the later expansions.
1: Diablo managed to do what we've been talking about in the previous uh, segment, uh, that uh, um, when D&D launched again, uh, third edition, uh, they made uh, uh, a Diablo role-playing game that uh, transitioned you from D&D second edition to D&D third edition, and uh, they published a bunch of uh, uh, modules for it. Uh, So they had uh, Diablo 1 and Diablo 2, you could play them as uh, a role-playing game, and then uh, play the the video game, the computer game, uh, as well. And uh, they they were kind of meshed together. So uh, that's fascinated me since uh, they did that. And uh, um, when I contemplate running a game, I'll probably do something like that as well.
6: Yeah, that, that would be a. I, I like that world. It would be a, an interesting world to explore in an in a RPG style.
1: And the books were fairly good too. They had a series of books. I don't think they're publishing them anymore, but they had uh, a bunch of books uh, that tied in and filled in the story and uh, the the backgrounds of the different types of characters that you could play.
6: Interesting. Have you ever seen anything about the Dead Space series?
1: No. Tell me about Dead Space.
6: Um, it's uh, it's it's amazing. So, um, how can I describe it? It's a it's a third person shooter. Uh, it's a horror game where um, there's there's things called Necromorphs, which were, in fact, you might be able to elaborate a little bit more too. They were from a different planet,
7: I believe. Uh, So it's, at its core, a cosmic horror story uh, in the vein of of alien and almost like the thing in space. So the idea, we found this ancient statue relic on our planet, and it gave us directions to other planets that had those statues that they call markers on them. But ever since we found the markers, some people start to go insane in proximity and become warped into... Misshapen, almost zombie like creatures, parodies of themselves with broken limbs and bones jutting through the skin. And uh, it's a game about trying to survive in the isolation of spacecraft while being hounded by these creatures.
1: Wow. <laughs> Sounds pretty exciting.
7: It's a really. Yeah, good it's, series. Um... They also have uh, books published out novels in the indie lore like we were talking about with the last few that are pretty good, and a very cool one-off comic series that's done in a very interesting abstract painting style. Um, mm-hmm. If nothing else, I would suggest looking up the art book for the game because the designs for the enemies, the ships, and the armor are all amazing.
1: Um, okay. <laughs> I, I will definitely have to do that. Um, and uh, check that out uh, as well. Some of the artworks were beautiful. i have gotten some of the artworks, art books for God of War uh, and uh, they, they really added a dimension uh, to my uh, uh, enjoyment of the, those games.
6: You've you mentioned that you've played through those before,
1: right? I, I never finished them, but I played bits and pieces of them. I was reviewing them once upon a time. So I used to get them in the mail. So I would uh, experiment with it, you know, enough to get a sense of the game and the story, and then, uh, you know, I would review it. I really uh, didn't, and since the time I really haven't had time to actually uh, finish a game. I think the last uh, game I finished uh, till the end was Diablo II with the expansion, yeah. and that's been a while All since right.
6: to, to, to piggyback off of that, to go back to Dead Space. So, the how I describe Dead Space is like uh-huh. for me. To be able to to beat a game should say a lot to the person that is interested because I really don't have time as well, um, uh-huh. and and for me to to beat an entire series of games, oh wow, you know, it says it says a lot for the series. And for Dead Space, I've beaten them there's the three main ones. I've beaten them multiple times each, so <laughs> to give you an awesome. idea of how much I like that series and how good that series is, it says says a lot when I explain it to the people that are interested in it.
1: Yeah, I think the first game I finished till the end uh, was uh, venture. Uh back in the days of uh Calipovision or Atari Cali and television. Um nice. and uh you have to beat like the ninth uh, level and then when you finish ninth level the whole game like restarted uh and it was just a little bit harder. So that that got uh, boring after a while. <laughs> but I beat it a number of times. Uh and then uh uh, there was Kingsfield, one of the Kingsfields uh, that I beat uh, till the end, and uh, Diablo, the different Diablo games. I haven't uh, even really played much of three yet, but uh, one and two, the love those. I've played them countless times.
6: Yeah, when you get around to it, uh, the new God of War that we've talked about in the past, I, I think that's right up your right up your alley. It's, you would get a kick out of it, especially seeing some of the characters and who they end up being and and just the lore behind it and where they are and stuff. I think that you would uh, really enjoy it.
1: I have my copy of it, and I have a copy of uh, uh, Assassin's uh, Creed uh, Origin and Odyssey. Uh, And then I found a a copy of uh, Theseus, which is the one that's 3D or virtual. Right, yeah, for the VR. And it's basically a... um, um, a, a retelling or a re-experiencing of uh, the labyrinth uh, myth, and uh, it's not totally immersive in that you have a uh, uh, an external and upward uh, point of view. Uh, but uh, again, uh, I might actually finish that one because the review said that it was very short, and that was one of the to complaints against it. So that's perfect for me.
6: And I don't look at short as a as a negative for me, like. If, if it gives me a good experience for a couple hours and it's, and it's the right price, and uh, I'm, I'm totally fine with that.
1: Have you played the new Gauntlet for the PlayStation 4?
6: I haven't, actually. I didn't even know that they made one until you mentioned it however, however long ago. So I, I, should, I should try to seek out a copy. One hasn't come into the store, actually. So uh, I should try to seek out a copy and see what it's like.
1: I don't know if it's available even in hard copy. I think it was something you could download. Uh, if I remember Ah, correctly. I'll look up again uh, today, because if it exists, a hard copy, I definitely want to play that for nostalgia reasons, or if if nothing else. Uh, I enjoyed the PlayStation 3 version, or the PlayStation 2 version, actually, a great deal.
6: Um, Yeah, Dark Legacy.
1: Yes. It seems like they returned to their roots in the arcade game for the PlayStation 4 one, uh, because it looked... uh, it's much more realistic than the uh, older ones were, but it seems to play uh, the same way. It's kind of like a relentless uh, uh, monster attack. Uh... Huh. Uh,
6: in uh, in Zach's aunt and uncle's basement, I believe they have a copy of Gauntlet 2 on Arcade, I think?
7: It's either one oh, or I- two. I can't remember which one.
1: Yeah, I'm still...
6: It's I a... Fully working arcade arcade cabinet oven and me and Zach played a, a few levels of it, but it's incredibly difficult. <laughs> so it yeah. even on even on free play mode, it's uh, it's it, it's tough.
7: <laughs> yeah, it's one of the ones I always come back to though, because it's so simple and clean, and it's just fun. Yeah. I, I love it. Uh, but my my aunt um, Diane. Has a functioning arcade in her basement because she repairs pinball machines and arcade machines. And then her and my uncle Nick also produce board games and have their own company that they've been
1: kickstarting yes, games out of. When, uh, if you'd like to uh, review their games on the show, that that'd be awesome. Sure.
6: They just had a new one that just came out, um, a superhero style, style game that uh, that that we're probably going to play hopefully within the next week or so. So ne- definitely by the next time that that we're on.
1: Awesome! I can't wait to hear about that. Uh, is it a board game or a role playing game? Uh, they
7: do board games primarily, but occasionally do some more card based games. Uh, okay. This game in particular is a board centric game. The idea is you guys were a really discount league of superheroes and you just lost all your funding. So you had no jobs, no money, but there's a diner across the street that has one opening for a waiter. So now all the superheroes are each trying out to win that last waiter position using their powers to try and cheat and get the most business for the diner.
1: Okay. And do you use your superpowers in... uh... Uh, cooking and cleaning and uh, uh, doing all the types of things that uh, diners uh, require? It primarily focuses on getting the food to the customers
7: and getting tips from them because they, uh, they play as the waiters, but they do interact with the dining staff and they give you little extra abilities. But uh, like some of the characters, one of them has super speed, so he can do more actions than the other characters, and another one can maybe – Change where someone's sitting or change how much money they're giving as a tip, so they can manipulate things on the board in their favor.
1: It sounds uh, very different and uh, very interesting.
6: Yeah, a, a lot of their games that we've played have uh, have been different stuff that you wouldn't that you wouldn't really expect, and it and it makes for it makes for a fun gaming experience.
1: Back in, I think I might have mentioned this before, back in the days when I was more actively reviewing uh, uh, games, uh, I used to review games for Wizards of the Coast. I used to review you know, games for like uh, some of the other bigger publishers, but I'd also review uh, uh, indie games. And uh, one of the games that I received for review was called Kill Puppies for Satan. <laughs> and... <laughs> it was a it it, it was uh yeah you know, basically the characters were uh, occultists, but not very advanced ones uh so they were doing these uh, horrible rites uh, to uh, attract uh, lower demonic entities you know to do their bidding uh and uh um yeah you know, basically we play tested it and uh, reviewed it but it wasn't something uh, i wanted to continue playing but just for the it was so original and and uh you know just so funny the way they put it together that uh um i remember enjoying or reviewing it
6: that <laughs> that sounds like uh, kittens in a blender
1: <laughs> yeah, i was just doing the I same played. thing
7: <laughs>
1: what is that game like uh, kittens in a
7: Blender is a, an indie card game where the idea okay. is there's three locations. The box, the counter, and the blender. Every okay. player gets a color of kittens, and I think you get like 20 or so kittens. Different artists drew them, and the only thing they have in common is their background is a solid color. So you don't start with your kittens. All the kittens go into a deck, and everyone will draw them. So you want to get your kittens into the box, where they will then be safe and score you positive points, and get everyone else's kittens into the blender, which will then score negative points for those
1: people. It, 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 it sounds like a similar type of uh, game. I saw something in uh, Target recently, Exploding Kittens, or uh, um, I don't know if I'm remembering the title correctly, but uh, uh, are you familiar with that game?
7: I played it once, but I don't remember. It was, it was a while ago. I, I, I don't have it myself, but you did get the title right. It is Exploding Kittens.
1: Yes, role-playing games uh, can simulate any type of experience, uh, and uh, it is amazing the types of things that people uh, come up with. Um, I'm looking at the clock. We only have a couple of minutes left. Uh, can you please share your contact information? We will start with uh, Tim.
6: Um, yep. As usual, uh, Tim over at Level One Games in in Pompton Plains. Website is Level One Games, the number one Level One Games dot com. Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all the all the normal suspects. Whenever we get new games or new board games or or anything in general, they all I take pictures of them all. Like we just got some new dice and stuff. Um, they all go up on the website and. The best way to get in contact is just messages, message us through, uh, through Facebook. I'm usually the one that, that answers, so you'll be talking to me if you have any questions. Cool. Um, but, yeah, just the level one games and pumping and planes right on Route 23.
1: Thank you very much, Tim. And, Zach?
7: I don't actually have any websites or anything set up, but uh, I do have a Facebook. If anyone wants to add me on there, it's Zach McAtee, Z-A-C-K-M-C-A-T-E-E. Uh, otherwise, um, you can always get in contact with me through, Tim.
1: <laughs> okay, awesome. Gentlemen, thank you very much, and uh, I look forward to our next uh, conversation. Uh, joyous journeys and awesome adventures to you and to all our listeners. Until next time, uh, this is Hercules, Tim, and Zach uh, wishing you a well,
6: Thank you very much. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.